of God. Okay, the scripture reading today is from Psalm 23, 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I'm going to repeat that verse. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. We are always blessed when we come together to study God's word and to encourage one another and to, to not just worship, but to really fellowship with one another and to dig into God's word like we do on these, these weekends that Doug, uh, Douglas Brown and his, his adult education team put together, the Insights Weekend, last weekend of January of every year. And they always find a great topic. They always find a great uh, speaker. And this year is, is no exception. Uh, Dr. Rick Mars is the, the provost and the chief academic officer of Pepperdine University. He's been there since 1987. He's a graduate of Abilene Christian University and John Hopkins. Uh, with a PhD in Old Testament languages. He has been a longtime Old Testament professor. He and his family have been just an integral part of the Pepperdine community for a very, very long time. And I could talk to you about all of his credentials and degrees, but I want you to know that I, Rick is a phenomenal communicator of God's Word and insightful and wise. And we are going to be blessed and not only that, I would say that he's probably the perfect height for a preacher. <laughs> so why don't you come over, I'll pray for you, and then uh, Rick is going to preach to us from the text, Psalm 23. Father, we are so grateful for this brother and, and for all of the, the years that he has dedicated himself to your kingdom and to this ancient word, Father, the words that were first birthed in your heart that have come to us. And we are grateful to be the recipients of all the blessings you have poured into his life, Father. And we ask you now to bless him as he teaches us and challenges us and expands our minds to the greatness of your presence, not only in all of creation, but especially in our own individual lives as you seek for us to know just how much you love us and the greatness of the blessing that comes in returning that love to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, there's a little bit of a backstory to that. I was telling earlier to a group today that um, one time I, in grad school, I thought I was going to get a preaching job. It looked like it was a lock, and then it didn't happen. And a friend of mine told me he had heard the backstory, which was uh, one of the elders had said, well, if you're really going to be a good preacher, you need a deep voice. Uh, so 
you know, I had to look for another career path, clearly. So academics, you can do whatever you want. I want to thank you all for being so gracious to me this weekend. It's been a delight for me to be here. This is a wonderful congregation, and so I told the group yesterday, I was pretty amazed how many people turned out on a Saturday afternoon. And so, again, thank you. You've been incredibly hospitable. And uh, if you don't know, in the ancient world, hospitality is considered one of the top virtues. And so you all have clearly exhibited that. A little junior high football team was getting ready for the game. They went out on the field, as football teams often do, one team warming up at one end, the other at the other end. And as this little team looked at the other end, these guys from the other team were gargantuan. They were huge, a bunch of behemoths. It looked almost like a college team. And so the coach knew when he got the kids back in the locker room, he was going to have to do something to get them fired up. And as uh, football coaches are some, sometimes feel compelled to do, if you are a football coach, I apologize, he starts trotting out all these cliches. Remember, boys, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. you got to give 110%. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog, all these kinds of things. And just as they went out the, the door to go uh, for a kickoff, he said, remember, boys, they put their pants on one leg at a time just like us. Okay, the little team won the coin toss. They elected to receive. This huge team kicked off, and sure enough, they buried that little team at the 10-yard line. First play from scrimmage, hand off to the halfback. He gets crushed and buried at the, yard, at the uh, scrimmage line. Second, he gets about a two-yard loss, crushed again. But on the third play, when the quarterback hands it off to the little halfback, lo and behold, there is daylight, a hole opens, and he darts for it. But as quickly as the hole opened, when he gets there, out of nowhere, these guys just crush him and pound him, and he is laying on the ground injured, knocked out of breath. Uh, he's laying there flat on, the back, on his back, and the coach comes running out onto the field to see if his little star halfback is going to be okay, how badly he's hurt. And as the coach leans over the little boy, the little boy looks up and says to the coach, Coach, these guys put their pants on two legs at a time. <laughs> now, that is, that is really, in many ways, we talk about in our world, right, having a reality check. And I have a good friend who tells me that, you know, uh, that he says he's constantly surprised when people don't see things the way he sees them. And I respond, I'm kind of surprised when people ever see things the way I see them. And so we realize we go through life often having different understandings of reality and what's important and what's not important. And Psalm 23 is a fascinating psalm to think about in the context of that, of reality. I mean, it's incredible if you think about it, the appeal of this psalm. Quite frankly, if you don't know historically, this psalm was virtually never mentioned prior to the Civil War. And after the Civil War, for a variety of reasons, this sort of became America's psalm. I mean, people, whether they are Christian or not, if they know any part of Scripture, it may be Psalm 23. It's about the only thing, if it rivals with the Lord's Prayer, but it may be bigger than that as far as common knowledge out there in the public arena. Think about it. I mean, several years ago, the NBA women's star, Shamikwe, she wore number 23, and Nike even made a commercial, and you could hear in the background, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, it's, it's remarkable uh, how common there, there are tons of songs we sing that are based on Psalm 23. And if I can, for a minute, kind of push back, that's a bit surprising if we step back and think about it, right? Because it uses imagery with which virtually none of us are familiar today. 
I mean, I'm guessing most people in this audience do not currently live in an agrarian environment. We haven't. You know, how many shepherds do you know personally? You know, or do you hang out with? Uh, we really have virtually no firsthand experience with the imagery in this psalm. And yet, we who are in a non-agrarian, highly industrialized, uh, you know, we know far more about computers and about cars, even about cowboys than we know about shepherds. And yet, we find this psalm appealing for some reason. We are taken to it. Even though, I think it's fair to say, if we were to talk about, you know, if we really push back... For many of us, God may be seen more as kind of a good buddy we'd get together with at Starbucks or something like that than a shepherd. And so I'm interested in, you know, why is this psalm so appealing? And if, you keep, if I keep pushing, think about it. If you really think about the backdrop to this psalm, this is not a psalm that talks about an easy life or life in the fast lane. I mean, this is a psalm that assumes that the world is dangerous and there are any number of problems. If you are a sheep, weather can do you in. In Israel, it is brutally hot in the summer and it is incredibly cold in the winter and both can do sheep in. Uh, there are physical dangers. There are ravines. There are crevices. There are cliffs that one can go off of. I mean, this is a dangerous world, and if that weren't bad enough, if the geography or the terrain or the weather, there are predators out there. There are predators and enemies that want to do the sheep in. And so here we have this psalm that assumes an incredibly difficult world, and yet we love it. And why do we love it? Because I think what this psalm does is against the reality of a dangerous world that can hurt us if we are not careful, there is another reality that trumps that reality, and that reality is the Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is my host. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we think about the Lord is my shepherd? In ancient Israel, shepherd was often used as an image for the king. It was seen as an image of protection. Kings loved to talk about themselves as the shepherd of their people, that they would protect and guide and watch over their people. And so uh, this imagery, not only of the Lord is my shepherd, but the Lord is my host. Again, in the ancient world, one of the most dangerous things you could do would be to invite people in, but as host, showing hospitality, you then took responsibility for the guest. And so it was this incredible imagery of providing for the guest who could not provide for himself or herself. And so you have this wonderful psalm in which you have two competing realities. You have the reality of the dangers of the world, be they terrain, weather, predators, and you have the other reality of the Lord is not only shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd and the Lord is my host. And really what Psalm 23 calls us to grapple with is which reality will dominate our lives? The reality of the dangers of the world in which we live or the reality of the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host. And it calls us to choose the Lord is my shepherd. Now that sounds good. I mean, who would not find that appealing? My question though is, 
when we go to work tomorrow, or when we go to school tomorrow, or when we interact with our neighbors this afternoon, what does it mean to have the Lord is my shepherd dominate our reality? And this is where Scripture is wonderful because Scripture provides us example after example of what that looks like when the Lord is my shepherd hits the streets. So think about it. You remember the story of Caleb? Caleb and Joshua, you remember that story in the Old Testament where they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They've never been there. And so they select 12 spies to go check out the land, one from each tribe, of which Joshua and Caleb are two. They go into the land, they come back, and ten spies make the report. And you remember the report. Ten guys said, you will not believe this. This land is phenomenal. The grapes are like watermelon. You know, the fruit, the vegetables are huge. We've never seen a place like this. Okay? But the problem is the people are as big as the produce. They're huge, they're massive, and they're all soldiers. And then you remember Caleb is the guy in Numbers 13 and 14 who steps up and gives a counter-narrative. But you remember the, the narrative of Caleb. He doesn't say, okay, look, folks, they're not 6 feet 10, they're only 6 5. You know, they're not carrying AR, you know, repeating or, or automatic weapons. They've only got regular rifles, you know. He does none of that. It's not that they're that big and strong. He doesn't discount any of that. If you recall, what Caleb says is, okay, folks, the God we worship made promises to us. He promised to get us out of Egypt. He promised to get us through the Red Sea. He promised to take care of us in the desert. He promised to give us the land. Every promise he has made, he has kept. I say we load up and go. Has nothing to do with the reality of the dangers in front of them. It has to do with the reality of the Lord is the one who looks for up for us, who has made promises and keeps them. And if you recall the final line... In that passage about Caleb is when the Lord says, My servant Caleb has a different spirit. He has followed me wholeheartedly. That's what the Lord is my shepherd looks like when it hits the streets. Or think of David and Goliath. You remember, uh, David's the kid brother. He gets forgotten all the time. And so he's home with the sheep. The brothers are in the army. And the Israelites are getting ready to fight the Philistines. And the Philistines have this brilliant idea. Rather than all of us and a bunch of people getting hurt, why don't we all send a representative to the middle of the field, winner take all? I mean, there's a game plan for de-escalating war, right? And the Philistines like this idea because they have Goliath, who's nine feet six. Nine feet six was rather tall back then. Um, you know, this guy is massive. And he comes out to the field every day and he shouts insults at the Israelite soldiers and at God. And David, who's home with the sheep, is sent by his father to see how the brothers are doing. You know, he brings them, I don't know, chocolate chip cookies, whatever you bring to soldiers. And he arrives about the time, the matinee, when Goliath's putting on the show. And David begins, if you recall, to rattle through the camp and says, someone go out there and shut this guy up. And then we learn everyone is terrified of Goliath, even Saul, who is head and shoulders bigger than everyone else, but apparently not big enough. And then David says, I'll go. But you remember when he gets to the middle of the field, what David says, you come to me with bow, sword, spear, javelin, all this kind of stuff. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And in fact, David says, the Lord has been with me when I've had to deliver sheep from the bear or the lion and rescue them. He's done it then. He can do it now. 
and we know how that story plays out. That's what it looks like when the Lord is my shepherd trumps the reality of the dangers in the present. Or think about as you move forward a little bit. I mean, Barnabas and Saul, right? Think about, can you imagine, I mean, the first Sunday after Paul's conversion when he's going to go to church. I mean, this is a guy who's been persecuting and killing Christians left and right. Do you really think he's been converted, or is this a ruse or a guise? I mean, it's a pretty dangerous moment, really, if we think about it. And how does that get mediated? Barnabas has such credibility that Barnabas comes and vouches for Paul. And we know where that story goes. Because Barnabas sees things differently. He sees things through the eyes of God. Or later, you remember Paul and Silas are in prison at Philippi. They disrupted the economy. Now, I don't know about you. I've never been in prison, never been thrown in prison. I really have to ask myself, if I get thrown in prison at midnight is the first thing that goes through my mind, ah, now would be a good time for praise songs. I mean, really. And yet that's what they are doing, right? That's what it looks like when the reality of the Lord of my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, trumps the reality of the dangers that surround us. You're getting ready to embark on a study of Abraham. Abraham, if you know his narrative, one of the ways to read his narrative is when he embraces the call and the promises God has made to him, we call that faith, and when he distances himself from them, we call that fear. And so think about that, some of these different um, aspects that play out and how they play out. In the life of Abraham, you get these really interesting kind of moments where Abraham will move because the Lord is his shepherd. And he will let Lot have first choice in the land because the Lord is his shepherd. And he will be willing even to offer his son because the Lord is his shepherd. But it's not as if that's a decision you make once and you never have to make it again. And so there will be moments where Abraham does not deal well in situations with Sarah and with what's happening in front of him. There, the dangerous reality is trumping, the Lord is my shepherd. And so one of the ways to look at Abraham's life and to think about our lives is, how do we think about daily, is the reality the Lord is my shepherd going to dominate my day or the dangers that are in front of me? I mean, if we are honest, we live in a dangerous world. It's crazy not to acknowledge that. I live in earthquake country. There are places where there are hurricanes, there are floods, there are tsunamis. There are all sorts of things that could do us in either terrain or weather, geography. And if we're honest, we live in a world where there are predators, there are enemies, there are genuinely people who want to do us harm. There is ISIS. There are mean, evil people out there who want to create havoc. And it does nothing to deny an act that that's not real. The question is, how will we look at all of that? How will we understand it? Will our reality be the dangers in front of us, or will that reality get trumped by the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host? And notice, if the Lord is my shepherd is our dominant reality, it is rooted in the character of God. Did you notice Psalm 23 says, He does these things for His name's sake, because of who God is, because of His goodness and His mercy. 
And that's why you hear it right out of the box as it was repeated. It's stated both positively and negatively. The Lord is my shepherd, positive, I shall not lack. And so that's the question for us. The response in Psalm 23 is, and I shall dwell, as it often gets translated, in the house of the Lord forever. But you can equally translate it, and I shall return to the house of the Lord repeatedly. One of the reasons we gather for worship is because we are bombarded day in through day out, Monday through Saturday, with a world that says the present reality, the only reality, is the dangers of the world in which we live. And one reason we gather to worship is to remind ourselves that that reality has been trumped in the God we worship, who is the Lord, our shepherd. It's no accident that in John 10, remember, Jesus uses this language. I am the good shepherd. I am not a hireling. The good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. He does not run away when there's trouble. That's the shepherd that we worship the one who's willing to give his life. It doesn't mean the dangers are any less. It doesn't mean there aren't these death valleys. It doesn't mean we can't be hurt. But we are incapable of ultimate hurt because the Lord is our shepherd. In fact, my favorite line in here in many ways is, and goodness and mercy, it gets translated, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But the Hebrew word is much stronger. You could translate it because the goodness and mercy of God pursues me all the days of my life. Think about that. We live in a world that says the thing that is pursuing us constantly are the dangers that surround us. But when the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host, trumps that reality. We live with the reality that what's really pursuing us relentlessly is the goodness and mercy of God. There's a story told about an Armenian woman, an Armenian couple, Pearl Kashishian. Uh, if you know the story about the Armenians and the Turks, uh, it's pretty grim. And uh, Pearl and her husband had actually made their way all the way across Turkey. Their lives were threatened multiple times. They made their way out uh, through the West and ultimately ended up in the United States. And it was a tremendous story of faith of this couple. And her husband, Pearl's husband, uh, late in his life, then is lying on his deathbed. And interestingly, he is incredibly agitated. And his, his wife, Pearl, cannot understand why. I mean, because he's had tremendous faith all his life, and she cannot imagine that he's suddenly afraid to die. And so she leans over and asks him, what is the problem? And he says, um, I'm afraid I don't know who will take care of you after I'm gone. And she looks at him and she says, God has taken care of us through all these years. Don't you think he can take care of me after you're gone? And according to the story, with that, he dies peacefully. That's what it looks like when the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host, dominates our landscape. Or if you remember a few years ago, the C.S. Lewis movie, Shadowlands, if you know C.S. Lewis' story, he was a bachelor, almost a lifelong bachelor, and then late in his life, he marries Joy, and no sooner does he marry her than she contracts a terminal illness. And his friends, who are not believers, keep saying to C.S. Lewis, you're crazy, I can't believe, why do you keep praying to God? 
it's clear that God is not going to change the situation. He's not going to intervene. She's not going to live. And you remember the line of C.S. Lewis? He said, I don't pray for God to change the situation. I pray for God to change me in the situation. See, that's what the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host looks like. That's, and we see in the life of Abraham the grappling with it. It's a daily choice. And so this morning as we come together, the question really for us is, which reality will dominate our landscape? The reality of, reality of the dangerous world in which we live or the reality of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host. This morning you may already be a Christian and yet you may be struggling and letting the dangerous reality of the world trump the reality of the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host. And so this morning the call really is to once again, as we gather together, let the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host, dominate our reality. Or you may not be a child of God, a Christian, and this is a great opportunity where perhaps the only reality you know is the dangers of the, the dangerous world in which we live. And so our invitation to you is to let the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my host, dominate your reality. Let's do that as we stand and as we sing. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove 